Anthony, I'm chatting with composer and songwriter, as well as founder and chief motivator of In the Key to Success, Cheryl Engelhart. How are you today, Cheryl? I'm good. How are you? I am fantastic. How have you been holding up during the pandemic? I've been pretty, pretty good, all things considered. I mean, we had some people in our neighborhood that passed away that were doctors in New York City uh. and our dog died. You know, there's been some like little black clouds over all of it, but I've my lifestyle has sort of stayed the same. I work from home. I have a studio here. I'm writing music. I'm doing a lot of virtual choir stuff. Um, and I'm also supporting my community of musicians in uh, my monthly mastermind that I've sort of turned daily, which has mm. been really interesting to have a group of people that are kind of cranking in the same way that you are and seeing them every single day of the week. And it's been, it's been really interesting. We're in week 11 as I'm recording this. So it's kind of like turned into another kind of family. It's really, really, really uh, a unique opportunity to get to know people in an online community in a way that I normally wouldn't have. Yeah, it sounds like a major undertaking. Undertaking being kind of the wrong word here because I'm sure you're doing it because you love it and you're passionate about it. But uh, I guess the, a podcast like this either adds to the craziness or gives you a bit of a break. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I love I love talking, so this is perfect. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I like my voice sometimes, too. <laughs> hey, it's David here. I just thought I would interject real quick because I realized I just implied that Cheryl likes to hear her own voice versus listening, and that's not the case at all. I know that she's a coach and a mentor to many. She does a great job at it. That's not at all what I meant. What I meant more so was that... I love to share and add value to people, and likewise, I'm sure she does as well. So with that, let's get back to the interview. I don't think I'll need to interject again in this episode. Uh, actually, we had the opportunity to meet last year at the DIY Musician Conference, where you shared about email marketing, and I gave you a copy of one of my books. So it's been in the back of my mind to have you on the show. I think Yay. most music educators or coaches agree there are certain gaps in the music business. You identified branding, email marketing, and getting out of your own way as specific voids you could fill. So the most curious one is getting out of your own way. What do you mm. mean by that? Yeah, I think that there's um, this sort of like, okay, I'm a musician. Let's go, 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 go. Like we have an idea of what it should look like to have a full-time music career. And what I actually see in working with my clients who are all career musicians, and I say that meaning that they're not just starting out, they maybe have a record or two, they've gone on tour, they know what they want to do. They know that they're in this for the long haul. So what I see is this um, block of, I know what I want, and I, I can see it through the forest. Like I use the analogy of like, a lot of people think of a block as like this brick wall that you're coming up against. And you just can't get through it. For me, it's like I'm walking through the forest and I'm on this path and I can see the light at the end of the forest. Like I can see where I'm going, but then I hit this glass wall. Like it's not like I can't see the path anymore. Like I know where I want to get. It's just that I have some block, some mindset, some thing I haven't gotten over, some disempowering story about myself that I think is reality, but it's preventing me from taking the actions that are actually going to make a difference. So I love to identify those and get those blocks out of the way so that we can continue on the path that we know we're meant to be on. You brought me back to the days of playing coffee houses and I would literally hand out surveys to my audience to fill out. <laughs> and people would say things like, you're really great. You just need to be more cocky on stage or something mm. like that. And yeah, so I was definitely brought back to to those days of of trying to figure out how to make make the most of this and amplify it, which as you say, yeah, I think that's exactly oh. what 
a lot of musicians are trying to do. I love that you just said amplify it because my my mastermind, this group of community of musicians has been has always been called in the key elite, my elite mm-hmm. group. And I literally am redefining it and restructuring it because I've learned so much in these 11 weeks of meeting every single day. I'm like, oh, I'm really clued into what this level of musician is looking for. And I'm mm-hmm. renaming the group Amplify. So I love that you just said mm. the word amplify. I literally decided that like two hours ago. So um, wow. it's so like, you know, that one of those things where you like, you start looking for like a, a green car and then you see green cars everywhere for the first time. So like now I decided I want to like change this, this big group to the word amplify. And like, I've heard that word like literally nine times in the past two hours. So oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it must be, it must be in the zeitgeist, but you said something really important there, which is knowing your audience, right? Mm-hmm. Getting a better sense of who they are, even for a musician. It doesn't matter if you're a musician or a coach. I think that's uh that's a key right there yeah and you know knowing your audience is really important too i think um for those of you who don't know i released my fifth record this year and for the first time it was in the Mm. new age category i'm normally like a chick piano pop singer person um but this was like a solo piano with some humming and like weird new agey stuff and you know it got number one on the on the new age iTunes charts Mm. and Amazon. And it did really well earlier this year. And that was all because of my fans and my email list. And I so am so appreciative of them. But I realized that that story sort of ended, right? Like the I'm releasing, I have these goals, I want to be on the charts, blah, blah, blah. And they're all like stepping up and doing all the things. And now it's a couple months later. And I was like, well, what's been my big thing that I've been talking about since I was, you know, 23 and touring with a band. And it's always been to get a Grammy nomination. Mm. And I was like, well, Grammy nomination in the pop category is always like 1,000 CDs, right? It's like a 1,000 artists. And the new age is 100. Like this last year was 103. So I'm like, those are better odds. Like I'm in the new age category. I'm eligible for Grammy nomination. Like, so I emailed last, like I, I, last night at literally six o'clock at night, I emailed my, my fan list and I was like, the subject line was, should I do it? And I knew that that would get a lot of people to open it because it's such such curiosity like do what and i was like hey i um as a voter for grammys one of the places i go to to see like what's cool and up and coming and what i should listen to is billboard magazine and Mm -hmm. also the they have a specific grammy preview issue and they have a hundred full page ads and sometimes those ads look like articles and i read them all and I just found out what it costs to run one of those ads. Should I do it? And I literally was like grabbing data. I, I had no like ulterior motive. And I think that's because they trust me and I, and I didn't and my communication landed. And I woke up to so many, like more email responses than I've ever had in my entire career. And mm. some of those emails were like, how can I contribute? And one fan even said, I will match $2,500. If you can raise $2,500, I'll match it. And I was like, okay, these people are fan funding for me. And I haven't even launched a fan funding campaign yet. (laughs) Like this is like the, this is like the fan dream. Right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's knowing my audience and here's the thing that email, like there was no call to action. There was no links. Normally my emails, and this is what I train other musicians to do. Make sure you're really clear on what you want them to do. Like what, like what's the thing. Right. And like, this is one of the very few emails where like, there was nothing to do. I mean, other than reply and like answer the question, should I do it? Right. It was, it was kind of an an ask to reply, I guess, but there were no links, there were no pictures. There's like nothing. And I think it's kind of like, like music when you hear this like big orchestral like lead up to something and then it's not some big bombastic bass drop it's like silence there's something 
about not saying anything that's even more powerful. So I think just knowing my audience and knowing that they what they were they've been hearing for months me promoting this new record, right? So like to see something that's totally not that, I think is is really important to just see your patterns and know how you've re- been relating to them and how can you change it up and and what are they going to respond to? Well, first of all, congratulations. That's absolutely amazing Thanks. and uh, engaging Thanks those super fans who want to contribute right away without even being prompted. Oh my God. I love them so much. I can't like, my heart is like, that's why I'm like talking about it. I'm like, I can't not tell this story. This is so amazing. So yeah. yeah. But when it comes to genre hopping, the thing that I think of is branding and it sounds like probably going to new age was within the scope of your brand as an artist. Am I correct in thinking that? Yeah. It's, I think that's such an important point. I, I always have been really open about struggling with anxiety attacks. And mm-hmm. this record for me was a way to, was part of my like journey to kind of kicking panic attacks in the butt. Um, I started learning about meditation and um, morning routines and gratitude and things like that. And I was looking for music that would sort of supplement that practice. And I couldn't find anything that like wouldn't just put me to sleep or like wasn't like, <laughs> um, you know, like really like droning music. And so that's for what this record is. Yeah, this record really like, was designed to keep someone present and in their thoughts and not put them to sleep. And so, um, so I wouldn't call it meditation music, although I know that a lot of people use it for meditation and it's on a bunch of big meditation apps and, you know, great, but that wasn't the point. So I've sort of shared along the way, like my journey with that. So yes, genreize, it's a total departure from pop singer songwriter. I did create a new website for it, which I, I rarely suggest doing. I don't think anyone should ever create a new website for their, um, but I, I also created a bunch of affirmations. So recorded six minute, uh, like spoken words over the music and I released those and those are on big apps. And then I have a journal. And so I sort of created a new culture and every affirmation ends with, I am a luminary and luminary is the name of the record. So I felt like the, the website, I am com was available. And I was like, ah, I, I think I'm going to put all of this luminary stuff somewhere else and then keep my website as like, cool, here are all the records I've released, including Luminary. And here are my composing projects and here's the other stuff I do and sort of have that as the hub. And if you want to dig deeper into this particular record, like there's a whole site for that and click here and like you can go get into this world and go get the free song and like get on the mailing, like like all the things. So I rarely suggest that, but I felt like this was a little bit of a bigger move over. Um, So I decided to do that. Absolutely. And I'm going to check it out because I had my first panic attack in 2008. Since then, I've kind of learned my triggers triggers, and have learned how to manage it. But beyond that, yeah, I would love to kick it in the butt. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, honestly, meditating five minutes a day, I start to, I've done it every single day. Today was day 792 for me. Mm-hmm. And 60 days in, I had my last panic attack. So that was like, what, two years ago? Um. So there's something there about just like giving yourself time to see yourself, even the shadows. And I like literally what I do when I'm sitting there, even if my head goes back to my grocery list, I come back and I say, I'm feeling angry and I love that. I'm feeling lonely and that's okay. I'm feeling like I just say the things I'm feeling and just me seeing them means that I don't need to go out and get someone else to see them. I don't that it doesn't show up in like an anxiety attack. That's like this little petulant child that needs to be seen because that's what it was for me, at least was. Mm 
stuff that I was trying to like suppress and be like, no, I'm the happy, optimistic person. Like, what is this doing here? Like, people are always like, wait, you have anxiety, but you're like so happy and in control and blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, that's because like these things come out and like, like volcanoes. And then I push them back down. And so I don't do that anymore. Mm. I let them be seen at the appropriate time when I say it's okay to be seen. And then, uh, so that's, that's kind of worked for me. So important. Wow. That's that's huge. So just for a moment, let's live in an echo chamber. You teach yes. email marketing. It's something I've certainly touched on more than once in my resources and endlessly harp on its importance. So I guess this is a bit of a two-parter, but why build an email list and what type of content should musicians be sending their fans? Yeah, you should build an email list because you're going to be able to make an income from it, period. And you should send yes. good content to them, other period. Those are the short answers. Those, those are the short <laughs> answers. Um, there's a, a number that I like to throw out there that is across industries, you can be, when you are doing email right, and yes, there is a right and wrong way to do email. When you're doing email right, you're making $1 to $2 per subscriber per month. So for example, if you yeah. have a thousand subscribers on your email list, you should be making between one and $2,000 a month. And that might look like a fan funding campaign that you do for one month where you make $12,000 over the year. Like it, But when you look back over a year, that should average out to one to $2 per subscriber per month. The content that you're sending, and you know, I call them subscribers because when someone signs up for your mailing list, they're not necessarily a fan. We like to think that they are, but they're not. They become yeah. a fan through your content. So through your sharing your story, through you giving them great videos and, hey, here's what you missed and having a great welcome series that lets them know what to expect so that they're not surprised when you actually try to promote something to them. Like you want to let them know you're going to do that. And I think you can also get really focused. Good content is focused content when they're clear on what you need from them. N newsletters are not a thing you want to do ever. Like no one wants to read like nine things that you're doing with links to check all these things out. Like no one, no one has time for that. No one cares. You want to really focus your emails to one call to action per email with the link several times throughout the email so they have an opportunity to click on it. And then they'll know, oh, this person is feeling passionate about this. They want me to click on this link. There's something here for me to do. And it's very clear what that thing is. And let's assume a musician is doing everything right and still their open rates are suffering. Is there anything they can do to make sure people get their emails? Yeah, totally. So you're talking about two different things. So them getting emails is called the deliverability rate. And that yes. has to do with how healthy your email list is. And when I say healthy, it means that there's a proper ratio of the people that are subscribed versus unsubscribed. So if you have a list of a thousand people, but technically five of them have 500 of them have clicked the unsubscribe rate, that's a very unhealthy ratio that kind of tells the internet gremlins that you're, you might be spam. So they're less likely to deliver your email to service providers like Gmail or AOL or, you know, Yahoo, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's one thing. Deliverability is is something that you can increase when you clean your list every once in a while. And I, I have a series in, in my Rock Your Email List course. It's called the Re-Engagement Series. So before you delete anyone that's unsubs not unsubscribed, that hasn't opened in a while, that might be like not really paying attention, you want to check in with them. And there's a way to get a good percentage of those people back engaged with you before you delete those unengaged people and the unsubscribes. You you. You can't email the unsubscribes anymore. You just have to get rid of them. Um, mm -hmm. The other great thing for deliverability is when people reply to you, you want to always reply back. That's telling the internet gremlins that you are not spam, that people are interested, that you're having a dialogue. And that's always a good thing. So replies are really, really great for your deliverability. 
So then you're talking about open rates. So once someone does get your email and it doesn't go to spam, um, by the way, when you have someone sign up for their email list, once they sign up and they click submit, they should be taken to a thank you page. That Mm -hmm. thank you page should have information like, hey, go whitelist my email. Go make sure you check your spam. The thing I'm going to give you might show up in your junk folder. Here's how to like give them actual directions. Like if you're in Google, Gmail, like go here and here and here to click, you know, to whitelist, whatever the directions are, go look it up. So you want to make sure that before they even get an email, they know to be looking out for it. So the second part of your question is like when they, let's assume that they got that email, that it shows up in their inbox, it's not in the spam anymore. And how are you going to get them to open the email? That's the job of the subject line. That's all the subject line. I see so many people trying to like tell the point of the email in the subject line. The, The point of the subject line is not to sell whatever thing you're trying to sell in the email. That's the email's job. Yes. And actually, that's not even the email's job. That's the landing page's job. The email's job is get to get them to click on the link. That's the that's the job of the copy of the email is to get them to click. And then wherever you take them, it's the job of that page to do whatever selling you're doing. Or it maybe it's not selling. Maybe it's promoting. Maybe it's getting them to sign up for your follow you on Spotify, whatever. But the, the open rate is completely dependent upon that subject line. And there are a couple different elements that you can bring into a subject line. One is FOMO, the fear of missing out right? Like everyone's doing this kind of kind of idea. Another yes. one is curiosity. That's a huge one, right? Like that's what I did last night with my list. Should I do it? Like you, you are going to open that email. Like, right? Like what? Should I do what? <laughs> so there's, there's a huge level of curiosity there. Um, also, if you want to add value to their lives, like, hey, here's a here's this thing that you need, like whatever that is. Like, are, are you bored of your current playlist? Like there's stuff like that, right? So there there are a bunch of different ways that you can be – you don't want to be too clever and like kitschy. Sometimes you just want to be really straight up with them so they know that the email body, the content in the email is matching the subject line so they don't feel tricked. Um, Every once in a while, I'll do something cute like, should I do it? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, there was one time my – one of my most opened emails was – years ago when I was touring and my email line was something like, performing same day as Dave Matthews. Which was, or same night, just performing same night as Dave Matthews. And most people took that as like, I'm opening for Dave Matthews. But no, I was like, he's performing in San Francisco. I'm performing in New York. But it's the same night. And, you know, you can't do that a lot because they'll start to like be annoyed with you. But if you do it every once in a while, like most people are like, that's funny. Um, So, yeah. The open rate is totally dependent on your subject line and you want to change it up. You Sometimes you can use emojis. You never want to use the word free. Um, you want to keep it under 50 characters. You don't want to use too many punctuation marks. Limit your all caps. You know, there's some basic rules in there. All really great tips and you just rattled them off. That's the mark of an expert. So listeners, go back, listen again, <laughs> rewind the whole thing and uh, write them all down because, yeah, those are highly usable and I use many of them. There's a few there that I might implement. Awesome. And is there anything you've come across recently that you're having fun with? Like, is there a top thing that's really working in email marketing for you right now? Right now, I think the thing that is, you know, in, still in the middle of pandemic and we're getting into the world of post pandemic. But I think that there's yeah. a hesitation to reach out or a hesitation to sell or promote. 
And I think what's been working for me and what I've seen for some of the musician clients that I work with is that their fans are ready and willing and able to show up for them. I've had clients that are hitting Kickstarter goals within two weeks instead of four. Um, wow. You know, just like open rates going up. I think people are bored. They're looking to the arts. Yeah. And I think that that, um, that hesitation is something that you should ignore. And I think the musicians that are going to rise above all of this stuff are the ones that are taking action and being real about it. So I've, I definitely have sent out to my list some, I am a big fan of writing template. I, I hate writing emails. Sometimes it really stresses me out. So I've written like dozens and dozens of templates. They're all in my rock your email list course. And every once in a while, I'll like email my whole list of musicians and I'll say, here's, here's something that I just sent to my list. Like, feel free to take this and make it your own. And one of those is how to talk to your list right now when you have something to promote, but are not sure how to like say it. So it really just starts off with like being authentic. Like, Hey, I hope this reaches you. Well, I know that there's a chance that that might not be the case right now. Like there might be some stuff that you're dealing with and I don't want to like step over that. So I am going to like share something that's up with me. And if this calls to you, like, I'm so psyched to like have you in my world. Right. And then you can say, so here's the thing. So last night, the email I sent to my people was started off just like that. Like this is a world of like, up and down and feeling all the things. And I don't want to make light of that. And I'm about to talk about something that might be kind of frivolous and I'm okay with that. Ready? Let's talk about me winning a Grammy. Here's, here's, here's the thing I got to share, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and just being like, like saying the thing that's there, like the elephant in the room and just calling it out. And, and then just like, some people are like, but I'm really nervous. I haven't written to them in so long. And now I feel dumb. They're like, what should I say? And I'm like, literally say that I haven't written yeah. in so long. I feel kind of dumb. Like literally say that, like you're going to have their attention. I promise you. Absolutely. And I think any artist who's done anything probably has a few stories about what went wrong at a gig Mm -hmm. and those kinds of things can work really well too. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. So I don't want to ask too many echo chamber questions, but one more. We're both coaches. What is the importance of coaching and why should musicians invest in it? Oh, I like... All I know from my own personal experience is that the biggest moves I made in my career were when I was in a coaching program. Yeah. Like period, end of story. So you will get insights that you will not get anywhere else. If you're talking to someone, like I, people will say, what's my thing about coaching? Like I am trained to listen for the gold. I listen for what you want and you may not even know you want it, but as soon as we discover it, it's like, okay, over my dead body, are you going to go through life not working towards getting that thing? Like that's, that's the thing you get with a coach is you get someone who hears the big version of you that's already gotten the thing you want. And there are not a lot of people in our life that relate to us like the big versions of ourselves. We have our family that see us as the little kid we used to be or the ones that are like scared of, you know, like music career, really? Like I'm supportive, but like, are you ready for the, you know, like, like, that's not a coach. Your, your coach is like, and if you have a good coach, you're like, yeah, no, I, you've, you've already done this in my eyes. Let's just do the things. Let's just take the actions to do it. So you'll get new ideas. You'll get accountability and you'll get that listening that I don't think we, any of us really get on our day-to-day lives in our day-to-day lives. Yeah, it's so true. A lot of people's context for you don't necessarily change a lot over time. Recently, my sister's context for me changed a lot, and that was uncomfortable for her. I think we're we're back on good terms now, but that that shift that she saw in me was like, whoa, it's a little jarring. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's a rare thing. 
like you say, a lot of friends and family will kind of hold on to what they know about you and how they feel about you. Yeah. And that's our job to change that. Like we taught them that they can, they can see that about us. So it takes some confidence. It takes some really powerful communication skills. And this is stuff that I work on with my musicians. And then it takes actually showing them like, okay, they've been relating to you like a square for all your life. And now you're like, no, 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 I'm a circle. You have to show them. And there, there's a learning curve for the people around you and you have to start seeing yourself as that. And that's, that's what the coach does is, is, is the first line of defense of seeing you as the new, bigger, expanded version of yourself. And then you start seeing yourself like that. And then you're able to communicate it to other people that you're that person. Yeah. My coach helped me 2x my traffic, 4x my traffic, and eventually 8x my website traffic. So that was a massive result. I paid good money for it, but I'll take it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And then you learn tools. I mean, the way I work is you, you learn tools that when we're done working together, you can go implement again and again and again. And that's the sign yeah. of a good coach too, when you can take the stuff and then you've shifted your habits. It's not just a, we only grow when we're working together. Absolutely. So this is a selfish, selfish question. I just launched my first full-fledged course. I've tested things out with shorter courses and audio programs in the past, but this one includes five trainings with multiple modules. What have you learned about selling courses and what has your experience been like? I think selling courses is just uh, you know, as hard or as easy, however you want to frame it, as selling music. It's really finding hmm. the, yeah. the, what's the benefit for the person going to be purchasing it. And what's in it for them and what are the, what's the promise of the program? Um, I think if you're really, really clear on, on what someone's going to walk away with and not, not in a sense of like a guarantee, like you're definitely going to get 500 new subscribers if you do my email list course, but like, no, you're going to get a linear process from start to finish to handle these things that you've never been able to handle before. Like, what would it be like if you could make $1 per subscriber per month? Like, would that be worth it (laughs) to, you know, to, shell out a couple hundred bucks for this. And it's the answer is always going to be yes, if you frame it, that you're solving a problem that they may not even know that they had. And if you're like a one-stop shop, I know there's a ton of free information out there. Um, I personally have looked for email marketing information for musicians. And the only thing I found is like a lot of really bad blog posts on how to write a newsletter. And since (laughs) newsletters are not a thing you should write anymore, there's literally nothing out there for musicians. So I felt like I had a slightly easier job, but email's not sexy. Like people want to be talking about getting on playlists and licensing and, oh boy. you know, all the, all the like sexy, like quick turnaround, easy, yeah. like I don't have to work for it. Um, spoiler alert, you have to work your ass off for licenses and for, yeah. um, any of those things that look sexy and playlisting and all those things. But emails like, eh, what? Like it's old. It's not important. I'm like, wait a second. You know, you need an email to even sign up for TikTok. Like you can't do anything without an email. It's not going anywhere. It's like a horseshoe crab. It's evolved and it's perfect and it's like worth it to be really good at it and you own it. So for me, I had, there's a learning curve. So if you need to know your audience, do they know that this is a problem that you're here to solve or do they not know it's a problem? And it's something that's just sort of in the background. Like I think for a lot of people, oh yeah, I like send a newsletter, I guess, whenever I can think of it. It's like not a problem. They're like, I need to solve this right now until they discover, oh, this is, could be the source of my income and my fan growth and me hitting the charts. Like, okay, yeah, I need to figure this out. Like stat. Yeah, part of that is talking about the feature, the benefits, not just the features. So definitely agree with that. And I think that's that's key to getting out there. And also to what you said about social media. Uh, I think I just had a conversation with my mastermind this morning about 
there being very little business value in it. And it doesn't mean there isn't any value. And you can certainly connect with people and network with people and use the right way. There's there's so much you can accomplish. But I think totally. re- relying on something like TikTok to grow your career is is perhaps uh, misguided. I'm, I just joined TikTok, so I can't speak to it. I'm still figuring out y'all can go follow me and make fun of my really terrible videos trying to find my voice but um yeah (laughs) fair enough i will still write and cover these topics for sure just because i think it's important to provide a bit of a perspective on things should you be on tiktok is it the right fit for you (laughs) that kind of thing but yeah yeah yeah, i don't see it as being uh, a sales engine for sure now I'm not Tim Ferriss teasing out the habits of the extraordinary, but I always like to ask a few questions in that vein. So first question is, what is your daily routine like and what is your mindset around work? Yeah, I love that. Um, So I, like I said, about two years ago, I implemented a morning routine because I didn't have Mm. a routine and I felt like maybe that was a source of some anxiety, just sort of winging every day Um, as a freelancer and, you know, freelance composer and songwriter and, you know, music business mentor, whatever you want to call it. So I, I put in writing in a gratitude journal in the morning and I actually created my own, the luminary journal that is on my, the website I created for my, Hmm. my record. Um, because I couldn't find a journal that was like, I don't like writing a lot, but I also like needed a little more room than just like the basic, like one line. So I write three things that I'm grateful for. I write my favorite moment, um, from the past 24 hours, which has sort of helped me train my brain to look for what's good in the day. And then I do a minimum of five minutes of yoga just to sort of stretch out. That's been really helping my back. And then I do a minimum of five minutes of meditation. And sometimes both of those go up as long as an hour, but most times in the morning, I'm kind of ready to go. I work really well in the morning. Um, so like replying to emails, like learning, I, I'm a sort of a sponge in the morning. So if I'm in a program, like I said, I'm like always in a coaching program or some sort of online learning or something. So I'll do that in the morning with some coffee. Um, I let my dog out, that kind of thing. And then I'm, you know, I have this uh, daily mastermind call at noon Eastern time. So we meet uh, at noon and sometimes some people are in LA, some people are in like in Amsterdam and Germany. So noon seems to be a good time to to meet. Um, so that's noon to one every day. And then I schedule all of my coaching calls, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So if I have any one-on-one clients or podcast interviews, um, sort of doing a podcast tour right now. So those are all in the afternoons on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Mondays and Fridays I save for, you know, extra things. I run in the key concert series. So that's on Instagram live at in the key of success on Fridays at 1 PM Eastern time. And that's interviews and, and one song from with me from one member of the, in the key elite community, which has been really fun to sort of showcase some of the people in this, in this community that I've created. So that's on Fridays. So every day is a little different, but, um, at any given point, I'm, talking to people and creating partnerships, doing some cross promotion. I'm engaging with my mailing list or with my musician community. I'm working right now on a lot of virtual choir compositions that I've gotten commissioned Hmm. for. So I'm doing some, uh, I work with some social justice choirs and other, other things like that. Um, I respond to some, I do some indie film scores and commercial scores, which has slowed down a lot recently. So um, not so much of that, but at any given moment, I'm, there's something I'm creating usually, whether it's like content for musicians or it's some piece of music um, uh, or a call or I'm generating a call with, with clients or people on my team. 
Yeah, I like how some of your habits are five minutes. I think a lot of people are going to find that doable. Not, not only that, a lot can be done in five minutes, as I've discovered. Oh, like, yeah. I used to sit down and play my guitar. I mean, this was after 10 years of playing, but I used to sit down for 15 minutes between a busy day to pick up a guitar solo and I would find I'd be able to learn a good chunk of it without uh, putting a lot of additional time and stress on it. So I think a lot of people are going to find that that helpful and, and be able to adopt that for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what's the greatest challenge you've overcome? Greatest challenge? Okay. So in the music business, I mean, I have like a bunch of personal ones, but like, meh, those are boring. Let's talk about music. Sure. But I think the greatest challenge so far... Ah, there's a couple like our van got broken into on the end of a tour. No, I think the greatest one is a recent one. And that was when I declared to my fan base that I wanted to get number one on the billboard charts. And so I did a hardcore two month pre order campaign before my record came out. And two weeks before the record came out, I was told that I was like 100% number one on the Billboard charts, like already had sold enough, I, even though I had two weeks left. And then Billboard changed, changed the rules on how the new age charts were counted. Oh my. And like totally like had nothing to really to do with sales anymore. It was all about streams, which I had not pushed at all. I was like, I had I have to focus here. Like I'm not, I could totally have pushed the streams. But so I ended up having to like create this video where I told my fans, I was like, I know you all have been pushing so hard. Like people were buying it on iTunes and Amazon. They were sharing it with their friends. I had a whole like luminary champion checklist that basically was like, if you do all the nine things on this list that can help me get to the charts, like it will take, if you do all of them, it's $22 and it will take you six minutes. Like it was all the things like sharing on Twitter. Like it was like a bunch of, it might've been like 13 things. It was like a big long list and people were doing all of them. And I had all these prizes, like you get entered to win a sweatshirt if you did all of them. And like people would just send me all these screen shares of them, like having written an iTunes review. And so I had this, it, I made such a freaking to do about it. Like I, I was like, Oh, I'm going to feel stupid if I do not make this. And then they changed the rules and I was like, okay, cool. So it's like pretty much impossible. Like it literally, I was like <laughs> bumped up from like, could be number one or two to like, you can't like not even close, like not even, I was like, okay. But what I did get was billboard notified me and they're like, we don't think you're going to chart, but you are in the top 500 for the week of all genres, right? Not just not new age, like all genres, including like pop and rock and country. And I was like, wow. okay, that's, that's kind of a big deal for an indie. Also new age is mostly dudes, by the way. So like being a female artist right. in new age is like a thing. Um, it's like indie female new age artist hanging out with like Kesha's new record. That's cool. So, you know, there was that. And I also was able to tell my fans, I'm like, even though we didn't get this chart, this billboard chart. And I was like, they didn't even, half of them were like, what's billboard? Like, who cares? Cause it's such a music industry thing. They were like, well, isn't it even better that you were number one on Amazon and number one on iTunes? And I was like, hell yeah. So I was, I really got to, had to get clear. Like the thing I overcame was that even though I didn't win this specific game that I set out to play and win, it doesn't mean that I lost. Yeah. And I had to do a whole mindset shift for myself and then but also just be real about it like this was what i said i wanted to do i didn't do it and there were all these really great side effects that we did anyway <laughs> that mm. kind of are cool and do do the same thing really um so that was that was something to overcome when they switched those rules i was like oh my god I, and like i had all the like i should have released it the the day i wanted to i was debating releasing it in january instead of february like i had all these like regrets right and i was just like 
happens for a reason. Things happen for a reason. And I just had to kind of do go with it, do the 180 and say, okay, here, here we go. This is just kind of a candid response, but something that I'm present to having heard what you just said. I never really thought of my music career complementing my coaching and resource curation and book writing side to complement each other. But I think I'm going to begin to look at it that way. I've definitely been inspired to look at it that way now. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, a lot of what I, I mean, the reason I got started was because I was getting asked to talk on these panels about like how I did X, Y, or Z in my own career. So they've always been connected to me. And the reason I went out and got 750 hours of coaching training, like officially to be a career coach was because I wanted to be able to listen better and not just say, well, this is what I did. Cause there's a hundred ways to do anything in this industry. Yes. And I was happy to be able to give advice, but I also was like, I think I can be more effective. I think it can make a bigger difference. I don't want a career coaching like life. Like that's not like the point, but I wanted to be able to have those skills to be able to talk to musicians in a way that people who have talked to me and made a difference were able to do. Mm, absolutely. And then here's the fun one. What's the greatest victory you've experienced? Oh, what's the greatest victory I've experienced? That's a really good question. Mm. I am like, it's so funny. In my mastermind, I'm all about the win. We share wins every single day. We just start totally. to train ourselves to love on, like, even if it's like I got out of bed and put my socks on right. Like, it, like, it can be anything. And so I feel like I'm like, oh, I'm so good at, like, looking at all the wins I have. And I'm like, but what's the greatest one? Um, honestly, I think um, showing up to Greece to a place I've never been to before, this tiny little like goat half abandoned mountain town last August and not knowing what I was going to create in this artist residency and like being shown this like stone room with a grand piano in it and just deciding like in the moment I have 14 days, I'm going to write and record a Grammy nominated new age record, hmm. like decided in the moment. And that's the record that I'm talking about that got number one on iTunes and, and like I just like knew that I wanted to create something special and mix it myself. And I engineered it and like did all this stuff that I've never done. I, I've done before for film scores and stuff, but never for an album um, and sort of went out of my comfort zone. And I documented the whole process. Um, I have a, a pretty good like behind the scenes, like I'm crying on a bed. I'm like, I can't mix this. Like, <laughs> I, like during my mix, I mixed it at a different residency and I was like, I'm, and I'm not, I'm trying to take a nap. I can't even do that. Right. Cause I'm awake. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah, like I just got, I like, I was like, why am I videoing myself? And I'm like, because this will be funny one day <laughs> <laughs> and I will appreciate that. Like where I, worked through all this stuff. So I think the biggest accomplishment was just seeing what was possible and not being, I shouldn't say that I like walked in that room and I was like, I'm going to write a Grammy winning record, but I knew that I had an opportunity to create something really special and that the Wi-Fi wasn't working and I wouldn't be distracted and that I was like in this magical place in the world. And I, I was, I think it's a, my greatest accomplishment that I was able to be self-aware enough that I was not going to take it for granted. And I was going to utilize every ounce of my muse that would show up during that time. Mm. Wow. That's awesome. Are there any books that have helped you on your journey? Oh my God. So many books. I read a lot. Yeah. Um, every single Harry Potter book. Can I say that? No, yeah, you can. I, can. <laughs> I am a big fan of Arthur Rubenstein's My Younger Years, which is this like old book about this old piano player and for some reason it cracks me up and I read it like once every two years as like a way to like get just in touch with the raw art and get rid of all the BS of social media and crap 
um, that's that's like been a really huge thing. Big Magic, Elizabeth Gilbert, just like permission to create was like big, 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 big in that book. Um, Rise Strong, Rising Strong by Brene Brown. Um, Just, you know, something that I've always believed in is that vulnerability is courage. And she, she, that's her, her thing. And she really like articulates it in a way that makes it communicatable. That's not a word, but you know what I mean? Um, It makes it really like real and it gives a lot of permission to, not not sh- this is something Amy Porterfield says she says don't share your your scabs share your scars and i think that some people think that being vulnerable means like sh- airing your dirty laundry and like crying out all the things but when you're in it it's very different no one wants to see that oozy gross scab that's like growing out of your arm you know they but when later on when it heals over and you have this scab you're like hey i have or you don't want to see the scab you want to see the scar that's it mm. um and so sharing the scar is like, hey, here's this thing that I went through and here's what I learned from it. I came out on the other side. Like, that's interesting. And I think that that's um, Brene Brown and Amy Porterfield. Amy Porterfield's more of a podcaster person that I've listened to. But yeah. um, the, the context of that has really helped shape how I talk about authenticity and how I share with my audience and how I make sure that it's not putting something on them to have to deal with versus me saying this is a thing like for example my dog of five years old died last month and people knew about it I you know like I posted a little tribute but I didn't say anything and I like he he had a heart tumor he died way too young he my husband and I are long distance he was like the thing with me like all the time so I had a really hard time with this and I was crying myself to sleep every single night but I never let my my mastermind know I didn't let my list know you know until Saturday, we went and we got a, he was a basset hound. And I'm convinced that weeping willows are the basset hounds of trees. And so we went and got a, ba- uh, a basset hound. We went and got a, a weeping willow and planted it. But before we planted it, I wrote a letter and we put his ashes under the tree and I put the letter under the tree. And like we, it was raining. So we were like, cr- my husband and I were like crying. And like we had our new dog and like, you know, we had this whole like ceremony. And I really got that like, that was the first night I didn't cry myself to sleep. And there's something about ceremony and closure that I think is easier to do when you're seeing people a lot. And in this like quarantine life, we're not doing that. We're not like honoring what normally are ceremonies or traditions or routines. And so I was able to like have this, not like, Oh, I learned something. Now I can share about how I was sad and now I'm not anymore. Um, So it's not exactly that, but it's, but kind of (laughs) like, you know, people were able to be like, this is really beautiful. I'm sad that you were sad, but also like, thank you for sharing this. And like, thank you for that permission, you know? So it wasn't me putting like a bunch of crap on someone else that they had to then go handle for themselves. That was a really long answer to the books that I read. Sorry, (laughs) tangent. (laughs) Yeah. But thank you for the resource recommendations. And, you know, uh, last fall, as I was leaving Calgary and beginning this process of becoming a digital nomad and traveling the world, uh, my family dog passed away just before I left Calgary. And, Wow, that was mm. that was tough. I'm not sure yeah. if I'm entirely over it, but it's yeah. it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Cheryl, this has been a really great conversation. Thanks for your time and generosity. Is there anything else I should have asked? Oh, that's a good question. Um I I don't know. I mean, I'd love to to meet anyone that's like, yeah, let's level up. That's sort of the world I like to live in. That's the sweet spot. Um 
So if that's you, like reach out, find me in the key of success.com. I'm super available and happy to point you to what might be the right thing. And yeah. Yeah. And you've got a beautiful website over there. Everyone could probably take some tips just from that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Don't forget your free report is waiting for you. Three career killing mistakes all musicians make. Don't you want to find out? It's at musicentrepreneurhq.com slash free dash report. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can become a Patreon patron at patreon.com slash new music industry. And if you want to get in touch with me, the fastest and most convenient way I assure you is on Twitter. So find me on Twitter at David A. Weeb, W-I-E-B-E. I'm David Andrew Weeb, and I look forward to seeing you on the stages of the world. Thank you for listening. Music in this episode was brought to you by Brian Young. Wherever you're listening to this right now, please consider leaving a five-star review and comment to help us get the word out about the podcast. Music.